Dr. Tenzin Namdul is dedicated to making Tibetan medicine accessible to the English-speaking world. Dr. Tenzin, a medical anthropologist and Tibetan medical doctor, joined me on Mind, Body, and Beyond to talk about his book, Tibetan Medicine and You, A Path to Well-Being, Better Health, and Joy. Dr. Tenzin Namdul, thank you so much for joining me on Mind, Body, and Beyond. Your book is so fascinating. What I really liked about it was the way it brought together all the facets of our minds and bodies and spirituality and how that affects everything. And you express it so beautifully in a very clear and readable way. And I wonder what was your intention when you were putting together the book? What did you want readers to get out of it? Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Lisa. I really appreciate this opportunity to have conversation with you and as well as to reach out to your audience. So uh, this book has been a long time coming and I appreciate you uh, paying attention to what we have put out there in the world as well as uh, paying a close look at what uh, the content of the book. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a long collaboration between me and my co-author, Dr. Miriam Cameron, he's a fac who is a faculty here at the University of Minnesota. And uh, we have been playing with the idea of doing a collaboration work where we not only wanted to bring out uh, some of the nuance or the facets of Tibetan medicine out there uh, when almost uh, not only the healthcare personnel, but also uh, people in general or the patients uh, know that uh, in today's world, uh, we really need to look at the different components of medical systems out there and uh, how different uh, people would have a different need. And each of these different medical systems, certainly including the mainstream biomedical system, there's so much a need of uh, making people accessible to this medical system. And so for Tibetan medicine, we wanted to bring it out initially to make sure that it is it is introduced in, a, in an easy to understand, accessible way to the people. But having said that, we also wanted not just to bring out the Tibetan medicine to the wider audience in terms of how someone can be treated or how Tibetan medicine can be an alternative mode of treatment for them, but also to use some of the key components of Tibetan medicine to just lead a healthy life, to to be able to understand the kind of uh, underlying uh, philosophy of life, to understand how in different culture we understand body and mind quite differently. And that could always be helpful to complement our understanding of once we understand our body and our mind and how they interplay, we would be so much more empowered to kind of uh, uh, create a situation where we are healthier, where we are more complete uh, human being or, or living species. So therefore, uh, when we were kind of working on the content of the book, we wanted to make sure that, okay, the first, uh, first segment of the book really wanted to have a uh, general introduction of our body and mind and how that informs our sense of well-being, uh, both physically and mentally. And so therefore, we wanted to introduce that at a very general level. But then we also took the privilege of how about we make it a little bit deeper? Like, And so that's why we, we, we tried to bring in 
more kind of a spiritual component of leading a healthy uh, uh, healthy being which involves both body and mind. So therefore, uh, it could be a one thing to be able to meditate for five minutes a day and be uh, be a little more informed person for that day. But then how about if we can create that situation where we can be happier and be a better human being for a longer period of time. So we're just trying to create that kind of a, from the state of being to developing a trait, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so that's what we try to bring in. We try to inject in a little bit of more kind of a, uh, more more nuances of the intersection of Tibetan medicine and Buddhist philosophy and psychology. And that's, that's what really the first segment was. And the second, I hope that we would have a little more time to talk about that, but we really wanted to inform the healthcare personnel or someone who is more proactively taking care of themselves uh, to to be healthier, happier, and a better contributing citizen. And so we wanted to have the segment where people can understand what really is Tibetan medicine? How do Tibetan medicine understand uh, the etiology or the causative factor of health and well-being and illness? Not just like uh, people out there sometimes when we talk about Tibetan medicine or in that respect, different uh, traditional or Eastern medical system, it's easy for people to understand since they are not familiar with this kind of a system that, oh, it might be a faith-based or it might be something that culturally people would just think about something and believe in it and it would have a blessable effect. But uh, honestly, it's way, way beyond a deeper if it's not more if it's not deeper than the conventional medical system it's it's a very rigorous system and we wanted to present that to the healthcare personnel nurses and doctors and the hospice care people so that they can have a more comprehensive understanding of uh, this well, particular the book's system very clear for lay people too you know, um, uh, and I like how you broke down the constant. Do I call it the three constitutions of our bodies? Uh, tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, so yeah, certainly the constitution, constitutional nature, or in in kind of for a layperson term, we can say that uh, people would have a different personality, right? And they are certainly informed by the three kind of a key in Tibetan medicine or Tibetan language, we say nyabasum. So three falls or three principal energies. And in some, in earlier times when people have translated uh, from different Eastern medical system as three humors, also in Yunani or Greek medicine. But then when we play with these three key components or three key energies, then it can be unpacked into seven different constitutional natures. Uh, and and this is really key because, uh, and I, I'm really uh, grateful that you touch upon this particular concept in Tibetan medicine because, and, and I, I should also uh, say here that it's not only dedicated towards something like a Tibetan medical system, but in, in, in Indian Ayurveda medicine or in Chinese or Yunani, or even in the conventional uh, social psychology where they have really focused on how you can actually tease out uh, individuals' personality and kind of work uh, with uh, that distinct personalities of an individual. But in Tibetan medicine, I think the uh, 
one thing which is quite unique and it's its own uh, idiosyncrasy component is when, as I said before also, this is such a strong intersection of Tibetan medicine as a, as a, as a kind of a, uh, healthcare science and then how it intersects with Tibetan Buddhist psychology and philosophy. And therefore, when we look at how an individual can have a different constitutional nature, uh, it's inevitable that we don't bring in the psychology and the kind of a biophysiological component in there. And the yeah. constitutional nature is really helpful to understand the person's, both the uh, kind of uh, psychology and the physical component and how one can use that in our day-to-day -day life, as well as if we go a little bit deeper than that, and then our spiritual endeavor to be a, a little more evolved uh, person, if you will. Mm -hmm. One, uh, well, the book, by the way, it's called Tibetan Medicine and You, and we'll definitely have more info on that in the show notes. Uh, it has um, questionnaires so that you can do your own, you can try to analyze what your own um, constitutional, Nature. what are we calling these? I'm sorry, they're not, obviously they're not doshas. They're, what are we calling them? Yeah, so, so, so Lisa, yeah, I'm grateful that you also, again, focus on how we actually uh, uh, name it. And in Tibetan language, we call it Rangshindu. So if it, if we literally translate it, there could be seven natures. So we we, we bring in the constitution in there uh, in order to make it more accessible and understandable to uh, audience beyond the Tibetan uh, or Himalayan culture. And so we call it seven constitutional nature or Rangshindu. Okay. Uh, I had spent some time at um, Mensikong, which is the Tibetan Institute uh, I mean, the Institute of Tibetan Medicine and Astrology in Dharamsala, which I guess you have also spent yeah. a lot of time there. And one thing that really struck me when I was there was astrology and how important it was, not just and specifically Tibetan astrology, and how important it was to the overall perception of a person's health and even probably their diagnosis. Uh, why is astrology so important? Yeah, this is, yeah, this again, another very important question, Lisa. And uh, because, uh, and also just a kind of an aside here, Lisa, I want to share uh, a very quick anecdotal experience I had in my initial time talking about Minsikan, Tibetan Medical and Astrological Institute. I uh, actually went there to study Tibetan medicine. I graduated from Minsikan itself and then worked uh, uh, in the institute for almost at least eight or nine years over there. And uh, during my formative years of my uh, association with Metsikov and I had to travel around, especially outside India, uh, often the organizing uh, uh, people would kind of, uh, you know, uh, whisper into my ear saying, oh, Tenzin, when you talk about Tibetan medicine, don't talk too much about astrology. People oh. <laughs> people might think that it's a kind of a non-scientific and kind of a, uh, you know, pseudoscience thing. Sure. And and over the course of time and during my first few years, I kind of uh, comply with their uh, suggestion. And I thought oh, maybe I should just, but as, as you mentioned, Lisa, it's so important. And now, especially now, after uh, moving to the uh, to the U.S. and uh, getting a degree in medical anthropology, where where the focus is so much on 
how different uh, culturally informed medical practices have its own way of understanding body and mind and its relationship to environment and others where all the living species, including plants and trees and everything. Uh, the the intersection of astrology and Tibetan medicine is so key and, and it, it can't be emphasized enough in today's time because the, the whole, uh, the essence of bringing in astrology and Tibetan medicine is really about shining light on our relationship to the environment. And so when you talk about, as you uh, alluded to it before, Lisa, in terms of making a diagnosis, in terms of make, uh, understanding an individual's uh, body and mind, both in the state of health and or, or in the state of disorder or illness, uh, it helps so much to have that understanding of or, or bringing in astrology in there. For instance, just a couple of examples here, which are, let's say, uh, we are, because when we do the pulse reading, which is one of the main uh, or the key components of uh, doing a general health assessment of an individual. So it's not only if someone is sick or uh, down with some kind of an illness, but also in general uh, health checkup, we do pulse reading. And we always have to have that kind of uh, inward knowledge of what's happening in an environment. Uh, what kind of a different seasonal is it? And during that particular season, for instance, now it's a winter time. And which components of uh, the environment is or components of environment are impacting our body? What constellations out in the galaxy is impacting our mind and body and how it impacts not just an individual, but on a greater landscape? And so those right. those things are very much informed by astrology. And uh, for the winter season, we always say that uh, during the uh, the kind of a four months of winter season, uh, the the pulse of kidney is always very overemphasized. And so when we do the pulse reading, if we feel like someone's kidney pulse is uh, acting up. It's not just due to the physical thing happening, but it's also due to the movement of constellation. It's also due to the environment that's had changed out there because the earth, the ground, so to speak, in a literal understanding of earth element, it's frozen, it's cold, and it really kind of uh, have a different impact, a very distinctive impact on our body, physical and mentally. And then also if when we have to uh, go out and... Uh, uh, identify different plants and herbs. And when we have to collect them, we also have to really have a pretty deep knowledge of astrology. And the, so those things are at the very kind of a conventional life. But if you go a little deeper again, as I mentioned earlier, Lisa, about uh, if you go into a more spiritual life, so if you understand the more subtle level of our mind and body, then the, uh, the color chakra comes into picture, right? And then how our inner body at the very minute, subtle level are being formed. And most of those understandings are very much informed by these, the kind of a more nuanced uh, astrological uh, texts uh, out there. And so it's always kind of, a, there's always an interplay of Tibetan medicine and astrology and, 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 and very much depend upon the understanding and the knowledge of an individual and how at what different level someone can use that in their day-to-day -day life.
Mm-hmm. You've got so much to teach. I have a feeling I'm going to have to ask you back for a second because <laughs> <laughs> we're just touching the very surface of it. Now, even folks who aren't really familiar with Tibetan medicine and all its complexity might have heard of precious pills. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what they are? Yeah, certainly, Lisa. Uh, so, uh, again, a precious pill, it's a kind of a term that over the course of time that has been translated uh, more, I think, due to the lack of better word and so better term. And so in Tibetan language itself, we call it rinchen ribu. And so a pill, which is uh, based on a compound of multiple ingredients, which also have some precious gems and precious stones in there, which has to be used after being uh, after being gone through a rigorous uh, mode of purifying and detoxifying these different uh, uh, gems and precious stones and herbs and plants. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, uh, there they, they could be a different ways of uh, explaining precious pill, but, but in a very kind of a brief and layman's term, it could be said that precious pill is almost like whenever we, we give some kind of a medicine to uh, an individual, we always think from the two aspects. One thing is how quickly, how swiftly we want the the active agent to be reached out to an individual, uh, not only just popping in, but also to the the different components of our body. Yet at the same time, the fact that all the Tibetan medicines, and I think in that respect, most of the uh, traditional and uh, Eastern uh, herbal formulas. We also need to think about: Do we have enough component in there that can that can work as a vehicle or a vector to kind of a help them or facilitate the agent to be reached to the enzymes in our body, so that the body get the full eff- efficacy of that component? And the precious pill is very much like that. Precious pill is like the like a horse, like you know, if you use the metaphor, horse which is really galloping and speeding up. And so all the different ingredients that we use in the precious pill, we really expedite the effectiveness of the rest of the ingredients in that particular particular compound. And so almost all the precious pill would have at least 80 or 90, some of them more than 100 different ingredients in there. Therefore, it's extremely complex, not, not only to kind of a compound it and make it, but also to kind of understand in just in a theoretical and an intellectual way. So when we when we have patients who have a debilitating health conditions or someone uh, with uh, uh, with even someone with a terminal illness where the uh, the conventional physicians or healthcare providers would say that okay we cannot really do much. There are many cases where the precious pills are able to really kind of uh, uh, make significant changes because how these changes are being able to make is there's not really any clinical studies being done out there, but there are lots of anecdotal cases where it, it has at least expanded the time frame of the patients. If someone has been prognosed to only live for X number of months, three, four months, uh, the person uh, was able to live for many years and and say, yeah. Tenzin Law, I um, had 
my own anecdotal experience to share. I went through breast cancer some years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. And um, our, our local Tibetan doctor gave me precious pills and um, my tumor shrank and my doctors, you know, before I was, I was having the tumor removed and then I was going to have radiation and the doctors looked at the, um, the biopsy before and after. And they said, how did it shrink? I don't know. And I said, Hey, it was Tibetan medicine and it was the power of the precious pills. That's yeah. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that Lisa. And, and over the course of years, uh, I have, uh, myself treated and I've also met uh, other people who have similar experiences like you, Lisa, and uh, a couple of my very close friends uh, who had a an, uh, a late friend of mine who were uh, told by her physician that she only has few months to live and uh, she was diagnosed with uh, second and third stage of uh, breast cancer and then started to metastasize, spread to other part of the body. And she lived for 13 years after that. And wow. when she was diagnosed, she was already in mid or late 60s and she was quite old. And so she lived long, very uh, healthy. And so th- there are many cases of such nature where I think uh, down the road in the future, I think when when the when things would be a little more feasible to do a kind of drug-based study on Tibetan medicine, suddenly there's a great potential, not only for the medicine itself, but also for the patients who have such kind of conditions. Well, I think the whole process of ingesting a precious pill is a whole ritual unto itself. I mean, the pill itself, I'm trying to describe it. It's a little less than half an inch across. It's a little sphere, That's right. which they, which they make in these giant spinning drums up at, at Mensikong and they gather all the herbs up there in the Himalayas and they gather them all together and they make, they put them in this giant drum and they come out after spinning for a really long time, these tiny little spheres, they're black and very, very hard. And they wrap them up in silk and stop me if I'm getting anything wrong. Okay. They wrap it up in silk and they tie a little tiny string bow around. So in your hand, you're holding this precious little silk packet with a very hard little pellet inside. Well, to take it, it's big, you know, like I say, it's big. So you're supposed to, are you allowed to chew it up or are you, or you grind it up with mortar and pestle and drink it with hot water? It tastes horrible. (laughs) It's very, very bitter and awful. And when you're doing this whole process though, you feel like, Hey, you know what? I'm an active participant in my health. I'm sorry. I'm getting kind of emotional thinking about this, but you're, you're going through this whole process to, to, to make it ready to ingest. And you're drinking this kind of nasty drink and you know that it's so, so good for you. And it's just, it's beyond any other kind of medicine I've experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for sharing that again, Lisa. And it's really uh, both for the physician as well as the patient or a client. It's, it's such, such, such a special experience. If, if both the physician and, and, and the patient are able to engage in that particular practice. And I remember many, many years ago when I was in India, a group of uh, faculty and uh, graduate students came to Tibetan Medical in- Astrological Institute at Mensikha. 
And uh, one of the senior uh, faculty, a medical doctor who came from the US, uh, he uh, came down with a bad uh, food poisoning, which usually happens <laughs> quite often when uh, foreigners would come to India and sometimes if they ingest something which might not be suitable for their gut. Uh, and it turned out that uh, a few years ago, he was in a remission at the time, but a few years ago he was diagnosed with uh, a blood cancer and he was able to uh, get over that, but he was in remission. But when we when he had that uh, stomach problem, he came up with a pretty uh, high fever. And he and his wife, both of them were a little nervous and concerned that they don't want to aggravate any situation and especially with his condition that he had before and i remember uh, as you would know this uh, probably that uh, there are eight different kinds of precious pills uh, or rinse and ribu and one of them are especially supposed to be really good for any kind of a food poisoning or contamination or any of those things and i told him that uh, i don't want to force anything on you because i wasn't too sure if they how much they know about Tibetan medicine, especially like a precious pill, which is not so uh, uh, severable on your test bird. And so I told him that there's one pill which could be helpful and uh, and you need to be fully engaged when, I, when we uh, have that pill for you to be consumed. And so I remember the rest of the group went up to a McLeod Gunch, which is the kind of a t downtown or the a town of uh, that small hill, re hill station. And, uh, I said, okay, they all can go, but I will come and attend to you and I'll bring that pill. And so I came, I went over to see him with a small thermos with a boiled water, uh, with a modern pastel. And because usually, as you mentioned earlier, that we would advise someone if they want to take precious pill, then uh, soak it in a little bit of hot water in a cup and, and keep it aside for the rest of the night and next morning when it kind of will mix up, you can have it. But sometimes in the times of emergency, so I, one can just kind of uh, crush them in the modern pestle and I mix it up with a little bit of three or four table, uh, teaspoons of hot water. And uh, I recite a particular medicine Buddha mantra. Uh, and that mantra basically really talks about how the base of our sense of well-being and health, which is our body, which is again based on the three principal energies of Lung, Tipa, and Pagan, is being compromised and how by consuming these particular formulas, I'm working toward uh, reviving or retrieving the balance of that state. And so I, I had him listen to that and then I gave that uh, the uh, decoction of precious pill and hot water to him. And I said, okay, why don't you lay low for 10, 15 minutes and we'll see how it goes. And uh, and honestly, it was everyone was so surprised because uh, in 10 minutes or so, he started to sweat a bit and then he felt like I started to feel better. And then uh, we were just making a small talk and he told his wife, can we go up to... Uh, McLaurin's to the hotel and joined the rest of the group. And that very evening, we were all out there. And he ended up, he came back to the U.S. and wrote a small article on how uh, his introduction to Precious Peel informed him about what really is Tibetan medicine. And so it's an aside oh, story. 
Yeah. What a great, great story. Oh my gosh. Uh, I want to talk to you about COVID. Uh-huh. How, how do, how do you perceive COVID from a, you know, through a Tibetan medicine lens? Yeah, this this is such an important question again, Lisa, and and also uh, this is a great question in in terms of what we uh, as a Tibetan physician, because uh, the work that I'm doing right now, not only as a medical anthropologist in academia, but also as a Tibetan physician, we wanted to see how Tibetan medicine is able to not only just inform the understanding of health and wellness or illness, but also how in a practical level, how we can engage with the mainstream healthcare system or other different healthcare system. And ever since the COVID-19 pandemic began, uh, I was and the rest of the other Tibetan physicians in the US or in other parts of the world were invited to kind of engage in conversation about how we can complement or how we can work shoulder to shoulder with other healthcare workers. And what we did was we started a retrospective observational study actually here in North America. And so over the course of a year and a half, we have collected quite a lot of data where people with COVID-19 diagnosed condition who were told to stay at home and treat for themselves had reached out to Tibetan physicians, not only among Tibetan community, but also among the Himalayan community who have that kind of association with Tibetan culture and Tibetan medicine. And uh, while we interact with patients or people with COVID-19 uh, condition, they suddenly would like to know about how how do we understand COVID-19? And I think it's the important thing is really the two different levels again. It's, it's, it's easy to, I mean, again, not to discount the scientific understanding of COVID-19 at the cellular level and what's doing in our body. But uh, in, in traditional systems, particularly Tibetan medicine, we say that we always need to go to the source, right? We just can't go to the outcome, what had happened to the the SARS-CoV-2 or the coronavirus and how is how is interacting with our body, but also how how did we get to this situation? And then from the lens of Tibetan medicine, we say that it all boils down to human behavior, uh, human behavior conditioned by unethical and immoral behavior. And so uh, in Tibetan medical texts, if I say this to some people who haven't been who hasn't been informed or fem, or, or or have access to Tibetan uh, medical texts over this culture, they might uh, they might really come down with a, a lot of skepticism. But it says in the text that so these texts are from twenty five hundred or so years ago, right? And then it would say that in many many years from now, which would be in Tibetan language, it would be nigmetu. Nigmetu means degenerative time or degenerated time. Right, and during that time, people will end up engaging in both the physical and mental behavior that could really destroy our environment. And when we destroy our environment to such an extent that we endangered other living species, because the, there are all these living species out there who are inadvertently exposed to the environment that we have created for them. And so, Ningme oh, yeah. to so, uh, thousands of years from now, when we will create this kind of environment or ecosystem, 
we will inadvertently expose these animals and species to this completely contaminated, polluted environment. And that will end up in creating certain other living species in these living beings who we we would end up getting exposed to our own system and therefore the COVID-19 situation. And so it's not just only the COVID-19 suddenly, right? I mean, when we talk about all other different infectious uh, uh, species that come to human as through animals or through other means and ways. So we could think about HIV virus, we could think about MERS and yeah. SARS and all these other mm -hmm. different viruses. Absolutely. And the various plagues that still occur in modern India that I know um, uh, yeah. Tibetan medicine has helped a lot with the Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that we really need to focus on is uh, the, uh, for any kind of an issue to be resolved or to be addressed, I think we really need to think about both the source, it's important, but sometimes in terms of emergency, we certainly need to take care of patients who are uh, experiencing the repercussion or outcome of this particular condition. And then we need to treat them with medicine and other means and modes, for instance, like diet and behavior and lifestyle. But I think it's so crucial also for us, not just for physicians or, or scholars or researchers, but for across the board, for everyone to understand, we need to really uh, put a check mark on our own behavior and how we think about ourselves and our world. And I think because we, as you mentioned earlier, we still have ongoing issues with plague and pandemic in our world. And in the future to come, we probably might have a lot more other things that will come and we need to address. Well, Ten Dr. Tenzin Namdul, I've learned so much from you. And um, I know my listeners have too. And like I say, we're definitely going to get together and answer all the rest of the questions that I have in line for you. <laughs> and in, in the, sh in the show notes, I'll give information about the book and Mensi Kong and all the, and a lot more details about the topics that we are talking about today. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank stay you. healthy. Thank you so much. You as well. And happy new year, Lisa. Happy new year. I spoke to Dr. Tenzin Namdul, a Tibetan physician and the co-author of Tibetan medicine and you a path to well-being better health, and joy. Find out more about Tibetan medicine in the show notes and on mindbodybeyond.co. Be sure and subscribe and thank you for listening.